selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we made it. <laughs> called i'm time that is the exact phrase i was ready to say to you with whatever question you lobbed my way as you do in this intro it's we made it ben it's it's almost 19 episodes from like crash course to crash course i think that is the longest stretch of any format we've had since we started the podcast yeah it was a haul and i think we put out some great all-timer episodes here towards the end when we were doing level up style episodes but it is nice to be able to dive into some fresh cards i think this is the stuff that we do best or we get to do best or that i feel like we like to do like the off the cuff we don't know what the other person thinks about the cards us coming to the set reviews the crash course the early impressions episodes with our own experiences and like going toe to toe and you know having disagreements but also trusting the other person i think that's at least for my money that's my my favorite stuff to get to do with you. Absolutely. We've already done it with a card accidentally. <laughs> and we'll bring it to you here in the show. Yeah, it's it's in these episodes when we're prepping before we record that that one of us has to say to the other person, let's save it for the show. We're we're already blowing it for the podcast. <laughs> so today we are going to be looking at as many commons and uncommons as we can that have been spoiled already. That's uh, January 17th, fresh on this Sunday morning. I got my cup of coffee here and I'm ready to go toe to toe with you here, Ben. So we're going to look at as many cards as we can. Uh, we'll sort of umbrella them under the mechanics, look at the color pairs, maybe try and figure out what they're trying to do. Look at some cards that have maybe stumped us return to uh, one of my favorite little segments that we're going to have in these episodes, which is, is this great or garbage? But before we get into all that good stuff, got a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. And when a new set is coming out, this is the time to get in on the Discord, which is what every patron gets access to via that Patreon page. The Discord is hopping, popping. Uh, of course, we're talking about all the, the preview cards in there for Kaldheim. Once the set drops, we're going to have all of the subcategories that we have for that channel in there. So you'll be able to see the what's the build, what's the play, draft log review. And most important, I think, for you and me, Ben, is that trophy channel, baby. Ooh, yeah. Great place to go and look and see what's winning early on in the format. Yeah, so uh, you can guarantee that the Lords of Limited 
Discord, like it always does, is going to break the format wide open in the first few days, first week of drafts. And if you want to be in on that conversation, the Patreon page is the place to go to get in on it. And of course, we want to welcome each and every one of our new patrons the first week that they join. And this week, we are welcoming Puck, Fabian, Chris, Marcus, Jerome, Alberto, Mark, Jordan, and John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Can I go sign up for the Patreon? That was very energetic. I'm all mobilized to go get on the Lords of Limited Patreon. <laughs> ben, I'm very excited to be able to talk about new cards. It's been many <laughs> weeks where I've been waiting for this opportunity. I'm, I'm hyped. Yeah. In addition to the Patreon, this podcast is now also brought to you by CFB, ChannelFireball.com. They've got a bunch of sweet stuff going on there. First and foremost is the Kaldheim release party. So we talked about it a little bit last week, but if you haven't heard, Channel Fireball is bringing the pre-release experience to your home. Kaldheim Release Party is going to be a place for you to hang out, crack some packs, get advice on sealed decks, play games via spell table, and so much more. And that's going to take place in this Channel Fireball Discord on February 6th. In addition to that, CFB Pro still happening. And again, new set, great time to get in on CFB Pro. You and I have both written articles. Alex is going to be writing some articles on the limited end of things, previewing Kaldheim stuff. So as always, make sure you're considering joining CFB Pro. In addition to that, we just kicked off a newsletter and your first one aired on this past Saturday. Yeah, so you and I are going to be trading off each week, but it's going to be under the Lords of Limited umbrella. You can be guaranteed that. So uh, every Saturday, we're going to be throwing out our Limited Lounge newsletter, just like a nice little short article. And that's free to sign up for. So if you go over to ChannelFireball.com, you can sign up for the newsletter and it's awesome. You're going to get that little nice bit of free magic content in your email inbox each and every day. And on Saturdays, it'll be from us. Yep. CFB Extra is the name of that newsletter. X as in in XTRA extra. Nice. And when you do anything over at Channel Fireball, please, 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 please make sure you use code LOL to let them know that we sent you over there. All right, Ben, we got a lot of stuff to talk about to jam into the next hour here. Let's start off with the mechanics of call time. And as I said in the article that I wrote this week for Channel Fireball, it feels like they're getting us ready for like Time Spiral Remastered or something because there is so much going on in the set. There are a lot of words. Can confirm. I spent a lot of time with all the preview cards yesterday prepping for my archetype deep dive for my article, and I, I had a headache at the end of the three or four hour session. <laughs> That's the expert analysis that you get here. A lot of words here, folks. A lot of reading to do. Okay, so we've got four like headliner mechanics here that we're going to outline. Fortell, Boast, Snow, and Sagas. Why don't you kick things off with Fortell here, Ben? Yeah, so Fortell is essentially a similar to Morph, but for any type of card, instant sorceries, creatures, you name it. So if a card has for tell on your turn you can pay two and exile it from your hand face down and then on a later turn you can cast it for its foretell cost so you can't foretell a card and then cast it for its foretell cost in the same turn you've got to be setting it up for a future turn so we've got a card here for example doomscar oracle this is two and a white for a three two human cleric and whenever you cast your second spell each turn you gain two life and it has foretell for a white so instead of just casting it as a two and a white three two you can pay two during some turn, and then on a future turn, you can pay single white to cast it from your exile zone face down and turn it face up and put it in play. So I think some important things to outline for Fortell, at least so far, you're never going to get a cost reduction. Like the two CMC to Fortell the spell and then whatever it costs to flip up as the spell out of the Fortell exile zone, that's going to add up to the CMC or sometimes it'll be greater than the CMC. So sometimes like, you know, a card will cost five, but the Fortell cost will be four. So then two plus four is six, right? That's greater than five. Okay, some quick math 
maths there for you. So <laughs> quick maths. So my question to you, Ben, is what are the implications of a mechanic like this on a limited environment? And it feels like a lot. This seems to me like it's going to be the most impactful of the things that exist in call time. I mean, Snow is a huge player too. But I mean, yes, this is going to be a huge part of everything you're doing when you construct your draft decks. I think the first thing that comes to mind is managing your curve and fitting foretell cards into your curve. It completely changes how you think of a mana curve in your limited deck. And I am very excited to explore all those different possibilities. Right. Yeah. Because so, you know, we're going to keep making these comparisons to morph until I think we get our hands on it, because that's the, the easiest, you know, if you go back to our card evaluation, vast method, this is an, the analog comparison here. The A of vast is to morph as a mechanic. And the thing that morph did, at least specifically in cons of Tarkir, the most recent time they brought it back was it like just changed the landscape of the environment. Like you knew everybody was going to always have this three mana two, two. And so the format slowed down a little bit. And then there was this like, sub deck the ben wernie deck this blue green tempo deck that preyed on everyone playing three mana two twos and your deck was full of two mana two twos and two mana two ones to sort of like get ahead of that curve and out tempo people and i keep trying to think of how could that work with foretell and i haven't come up with anything yet yeah it's going to be interesting there are cards that are seated to let you double spell pretty effectively i think you know there's some good one drops and there are foretell cards that have you know, one as their foretell cost, the Doomscar Oracle that we saw there as our example card, mm -hmm. you know, so you could potentially foretell something on turn two. And then on turn three, you could flip up, you know, if your foretell cost was one, foretell another card. It'll be interesting to see the different ways that you can fit a curve together with foretell. Right. If you can chain stuff together, it feels like you really don't fall that far behind. So if on turn two, you're going to foretell, you know, for example, the card you read, Doomscar Oracle. And then on turn three, you pay one for that three, two. It even gains you a little bit of life, right? If you cast your second spell, so you could cast a two drop that turn, or you could just then chain together foretell stuff. You're like, all right, one mana to cast my three, two, and then two mana to then exile another thing. And then on turn four, I flip that up maybe for two mana and then foretell something else. So if you can chain them together, it really feels like that, you know, that one turn of you taking off to foretell something doesn't punish you that much. Right. And Wizards does know, I think, that this affects the curve. There's a whole color pair deck kind of that feels seated with Fertel that cares about you casting two spells in a turn, which is pretty sweet. So we'll take a look at that a little later. Yeah. So a couple more questions here before we read a few more cards. Um, does Fortel make combat tricks better or worse in your mind? I think it makes them better to a certain extent. The combat tricks that have Fertel certainly are going to be more flexible. I mean, Fertel makes anything better than it normally would be, right? Because right. you have alternate casting costs. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be interesting playing around Fertel cards, right? Because there is removal that has Fertel. There's combat tricks that have Fertel. And there's going to be treasure tokens floating around that are even going to make, you know, if your opponent has a treasure token and they've got a multicolored deck, it's going to be really hard to read what that Fertel card is potentially. Right, yeah. Man, treasures? I forgot treasures were in the set too. There's so much going on. So yeah, I think the, the best Fertel cards for my money are almost certainly going to be instants would be my guess just because you know, being able to pass with foretell mana up or being able to pass with mana up with your spells exiled, I think will make life difficult for your opponent. The more diverse those spells can be, the better or the, the more they, they play with other instants or other things you can do at instant speed, act, activated abilities, that sort of thing, like mana sinks, that's going to play super well with foretell. I'm just really excited about figuring out the, the map of that stuff. And also, I think just that mechanic is going to reward people who do their homework early in the set, you know? Yes, I agree completely. Um, so we've got an interesting card here, sort of a, a foretell maybe enabler that I wanted to kick off and see your your thoughts on here. We've got Carfell Harbinger. I'm calling this Vodalian Arcanist 2.0 question mark. This is a one and a blue for a one three. And it says 
tap to add blue, and you can spend this mana only to foretell a card from your hand or cast an instant or sorcery spell. Yeah, this card looks like fire. I would imagine it will be a great pickup in these foretell decks. Yeah, I think so too. And there's there's a lot of the, the blue cards for foretell so far look really awesome. Um, first up is Saw It Coming. What does this card do? This is one blue blue for an instant counter target spell and then has foretell for one and a blue. So if you don't want to hold up that three mana on turn three, but you got two mana floating around at some other point, you can hold your counter spell up for just a one and a blue, which I think makes this a little more formidable. It's still not going to be an insanely high pick and limited or anything i don't think yeah i don't know i think it having foretell might just because i think like redundancy of foretell especially at instant speed is gonna be really powerful so maybe just like generically it won't be a high pick but if you know you're doing a lot of foretell stuff or if you're doing like the like blue red this time around is like <laughs> it's just adding a keyword every time right usually it's instants and sorceries and now we've got wizards from uh zendikar and now we're tacking on giants as well this time around um so so i think maybe it's it's good with that floating around too yeah gonna have all that synergy so i guess anything with foretell is gonna get a slight bump for decks that care about foretelling i think so yeah i'm very curious to get your thoughts on this this is the talk of the town right blue gets swords to plowshares raven form is here at common two and a blue for a sorcery exile target artifact or creature its controller creates a one one blue bird creature token with flying and it has foretell for just a single blue i like this card a lot is that okay I think that's okay. My guess is this is worse than the community at large thinks it is. Yes, but I think it's better than we're predisposed to think it is, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes. I think about these effects that we've seen before that create bodies, you know, so we had, I'm forgetting the name of it, but the, the five mana removal spell in white in M21 that exiled the creature and then they got a one one. Now, this is better in the sense that it exiles the thing for much, 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 much cheaper, right? Three mana already is cheaper than five. But then think about the fact that when you get to like just foretell this at some point and then you have just one mana to exile the thing, that's insane. But a one one flyer is not nothing in limited. It's not nothing. So I think you're if you're playing Raven forms and picking them reasonably highly, you need to make sure that you've got ways to blank one one flyers. But I think blue, white, especially, which seems to be the Fertel color pair, has ways to do that. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. I also think that this card potentially has diminishing returns. Like the first one is probably a very high pick, but I don't know how it... Like, do you think you want to end up with four of these in your deck? I don't think it's crazy if you're turtling up. There does there does seem to be a turtle up Fertel deck, you know, gain some life, make the game go long. And I mean, if you're using them wisely on large monsters, uh-huh. it could be beneficial. I don't know. I, I like it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I think the large monsters thing is also a pretty big key. Like, how much are you downgrading your opponent's creature, right? How much better are their creatures than a 1-1 flyer? And I think that's also going to be a clue to how high of a pick this is and how many copies you'll be happy with in a deck. Yep. Next up here, we've got Behold the Multiverse. Three and a blue instant scry two, draw two cards for tell for one and a blue. This card is wild to me. So already, like, four mana instant scry two, draw two at common, I think is good. And then the foretell aspect of this, I think, just bumps it up even more for me. Yeah, very synergistic card advantage engine. Love it. We got some combat tricks as well to discuss here. First up is Mammoth Growth, two and a green for an instant target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn with foretell of green. So this is like a great example of, you know, holding up three mana for a combat trick is a lot. But holding up one mana for plus four, plus four is not so much. But like the turn that you you're going to have to have exactly two mana left over and not three to want to foretell this to then be able to get it in the exile zone. Yeah, I mean, it's not I don't think this is a high pick or anything, but it is like 
the the potency of all these foretell spells, I think, you know, if we think about how often we talk about drafting with optimism or building your decks with optimism, I'm very optimistic about the foretell mechanic here in terms of, I think one of the things I do the best is maximize my mana each and every turn. And I think foretell is going to reward that in spades. Yep, 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 absolutely. Next up, we've got Demon Bolt, which is a pretty sweet one here. This is two and a red for an instant, deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker, foretell cost of a single red. This card is nuts. This is like early front runner for best common in the set, I would guess. Yeah, I think this so. This is ridiculously good. I mean, three mana instant deal four is already good, right? Then you just get some added flexibility and synergy on top of that. Yeah, really, really good. I mean, it just sort of reminds me of like Royal Eruption was like really good and flexible and synergistic. And that's what this card reads to me too. Next up here is Augury Raven. This is three and a blue for a three, three flyer with foretell of one and a blue. I'm very curious about this card. There's a green one also. There seems to be like there's maybe a cycle of four drops. I've seen a green, a blue, and a red four drop with Fortel. All of them are pretty powerful. The green one, for example, is one and a green, three, three. When it ETBs, you draw a card. I kind of want to know where those go because they're very obviously powerful cards, right? Augury Raven is raw power, yeah? Four mana, three, three, flyer at common. Phantom Monster, move over, baby. Yeah, and has the Fortel stuff. Yeah. Is this going to be good enough that it just goes in every blue deck regardless of synergy or is this only going to be a very good card in a blue white for tell deck so i think you referencing the four mana three three in green that etbs draws a card is really interesting because remember how like hot and heavy we were for Jiraga visionary at the start of yeah, the car rising that's what i'm saying that's why i'm bringing this question up and it didn't end up being a big player so i do wonder how big of a difference two toughness versus three toughness is and i think you know if Jiraga visionary were a three three that would have been a, a big difference i think in Zendikar Rising, who knows how that will fit in here? You know, we don't have a an idea of what the like magic number is for toughness, how aggressive the set is, like what the creature sizing is for all the commons and uncommons, etc. We'll get to that next week in the crash course. But yeah, I'm I'm just wondering like has limited power creep happened enough where Augury Raven isn't that insane? Because I look at this card and I think it's insane. Right, that's my initial reaction too. But then when I was going through and laying out the cards that go in each archetype, the only archetype that this really quote unquote belongs in is blue white. Now it's gonna it's a great card. You can put it in any blue deck, but does it is it really gonna have a home in those other blue color pairs? And and you say that particularly because it doesn't have relevant types. Like we haven't talked about that this is also a tribal set on top of everything else yet. Right. It doesn't have relevant types and it doesn't have synergy anywhere else. Like overt synergy anywhere else but it is a very good card so i'm just curious to see see how it all fits together i agree yeah augury raven was a card that i was like <laughs> i did sort of like a triple take to it and then like had the looney tunes like bugga bugga eyes but yeah no i, I, I don't know we'll, we'll see we'll see all right the next mechanic we're going to talk about here is boast um so this is a mechanic tacked on to creatures and you get to activate this ability if the creature attacked this turn and then you can only activate it once each turn yeah, <laughs> well, I was saved from some severe embarrassment. I posted a Twitter. There's a black one drop that's a one two. And after it attacks has boast that you can pay one and drain a life from your opponent. And I was under the assumption that you could just fireball your opponent for however much mana you happen to have. And I thought the card was absolutely insane. So once I was corrected on how boast worked, I, I moved all those cards down in my pick order a little bit. <laughs> I think some of the particularly interesting boast cards are the ones where you can curve them into their boast activation. So for example, we've got Fearless Liberator. This is one in red for a 2-1 Dwarf Berserker at Uncommon, and its boast activation is two in a red, make a 2-1 Red Dwarf Berserker creature token. So a 2-mana two 2-1, two 
And then on the next turn, you attack with it and you can pay three mana to make it two one. Now, that's pretty powerful. Like your opponent has to trade off with that, but then you're already getting a two for one essentially. Right. So you're essentially turning this into a three mana kill your opponent's two drop, which is fine, not outstanding. Right. But that's sort of like, I guess that's the medium case. I mean, the fail case is you draw this late and it's no good, but that's very much the case with a lot of two drops. But then the the great case is the times when your opponent doesn't have something to do here, right? You just get to make a free two one. That's crazy. Yeah, that's very good. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that card's good. What, what else we got going on with Boast? We've got Usher of the Fallen. This is another super sweet one that you can curve into itself. This is white for a 2-1 Spirit Warrior, and it has Boast for one and a white, create a 1-1 one, one white Human Warrior creature token. The Screams Aggression. Yeah, absolutely. And then I would say a, a sort of lacklustery one or one that you know makes me think of Territorial Hammer Skull from Ixlon, and I don't think this is going to perform that way. This is Gold Maw Champion, 2 and a white for a 2-3 Dwarf Warrior at common with boast one and a white tap target creature you having to pay mana here to tap a thing is, is kind of sad news yeah i was not crazy in love with this card even when i thought you could pay six to tap <laughs> down three things or whatever knowing you can only do it once i am i'm not about that card very much yeah and, and then we've got a boast payoff here that's been spoiled yeah this is frenzied raider one in a red for a two two and when you activate a boast ability put a plus one plus one counter on frenzied raider yeah i i don't quite know what to make of boast or, or how to think about boast you know I, I just wrote an article on like the mechanics of Kaldheim, and i sort of left this out in terms of something to discuss because it seems very i don't know what you see is what you get is in my mind here about boast yeah i think that's a good way to describe it specifically with frenzied raider it's a little awkward in that ideally you want to play this as your two drop but boast really wants you to be aggressive but if this is your two drop and it doesn't have boast you're not going to be boasting until at least turn four turning this into a three three which isn't that strong you know i'd be way more excited about frenzied raider if it had its own boast ability i wonder if the way to think about it is the way we think about go wide decks as aggressive decks that like you know some aggro decks are like two drop three drop four drop combat trick and then some ag aggro decks are like two mana spell that makes two one ones three mana spell that makes a two two and a one one like go wide go wide go wide build out my board and then inspired charge and i wonder if it's going to be like set up my board, set up my board, set up my board, attack, dump six mana into three boast activations type deal. Yeah, that could be strong. Yeah, so I, I don't know. But boast is sort of like, I just feels like, okay, this is the aggressive mechanic of the set. How good is it? Again, it's going to be interesting about like mana efficiency. Where are you slotting in? Do you want to affect the board this turn? Or do you want to pump your mana into your boast activations? Yeah, you describing it as a big swing, activating multiple boast abilities in a turn, that that makes it more appealing to me. I hadn't thought of it in quite that light yet. All right, yeah, well, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Next mechanic we've got is snow, baby. <laughs> Are you most excited about snow, Ben? Oh, yeah, snow looks fierce to me. All right, cool. What do we got going on with snow? So snow is, if you played Modern Horizons, there's going to be snow basics and enters the battlefield tapped snow dual lands, one per pack, taking up the basic land slot. So you're going to be able to draft snow lands to put them in your deck, which is pretty sweet, um, was a huge part of Modern Horizons, figuring out when you could draft snow and when not. And power level of snow looks to be high here. So I would imagine it'll be a similar game in, in as it was in Modern Horizons, figuring out when you're supposed to draft snow. So to give you an example here, we've got Sculptor of Winter. This is one in a green for a 2-2 snow creature, Elf Rogue. And that's relevant because there's cards that care about the number of snow permanents you'll have. Mm -hmm. So it could be snow creatures, you know, snow lands, snow artifacts, whatever, totaling those things up. And this has the activated ability to tap to untap target snow land. So it will ramp you if you 
have those snow basics. Two mana, two, two snow card that is also going to ramp you is very powerful in a snow deck. This is an effective reprint of a card we saw in Modern Horizons, right? Right. Rhyme Tender. Yeah, Rhyme Tender was untap a snow permanent, I think. Whereas this is just a snow land. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of interesting implications. But right off the bat, I want to talk about Sculptor Winter's best friend, which is Glittering Frost. We have not seen an effect like this in a little bit, Ben. So this is two and a green for a snow enchantment aura. Enchant land. Enchanted land is snow. And when Enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. It's it's like snow New Horizons. It's not quite like Snow New Horizons, right? You only get you only get one of the any color mana. Yeah, it doesn't double fix. It doesn't add a plus one plus one counter. Like it doesn't gain you life like Gift of Paradise does. But it does make you an extra snow permanent, which is kind of cool. I think some decks are going to really care about that. Right. So snow in the format is base blue green, and it also looks like there's snow stuff in red and black as well. Mm-hmm. And that and that red green may even be the base for the multicolor snow deck. There is a three, four, five color snow deck running around as well. I think that's pretty supported so we have a snow manolith that's pretty sweet it's called replicating ring it's three mana for a snow artifact taps to add one mana of any color At the beginning of your upkeep you put a knight counter on replicating ring and then if it has eight or more knight counters on it you remove all of them create eight colorless snow artifact tokens named replicating ring with tap add one mana of any color well there's another colorless snow fixer that we haven't put on the on the show notes here even this is like a new evolving wilds variant so this is valley of wandering glow it's a snow land it etbs tapped as it enters the battlefield you choose a color and it taps for the chosen color and i don't know if this is just a common on its own or if this is part of the like this is going to replace the land in the pack so this will be one per pack but either way this is a really cool like splash land variant yeah i just saw that this morning it's pretty sweet yeah, so both of those are really, really awesome, I think. And I, I just want to start of talk about snow in the context of like reasons versus rewards, because I think that's a really great framework for thinking about like moving into the snow deck. But the snow deck in particular, at least if Modern Horizons is an example, was a style of deck because of this idea of you see one snow land per pack, and the snow lands are so important to the like all in on snow style deck. That like oftentimes in Modern Horizons, what you would do is like if you had some weak packs, you would just go, all right, I'm just going to snap up the snow basics here in pack one and hope that if I take all the rewards or role players really even or what I would think the snowlands are in the in the snow deck, if I take all these role players, then the reasons will be passed to me because no one else can support them. Right. Yeah, I think that was a very significant and real strategy. And from looking at the snow cards that are in the format, I do think that's going to be a reasonable strategy. There are good, good, good snow payoff cards, and they're spread across enough colors that if you're picking up the snow cards that let you fix, you're going to be able to get the ones that people can't take advantage of. Right. Yeah. And so it's sort of it's not quite a game of chicken, but you also want to make sure you notice like we talked about this a little bit already. But if you want to notice like, oh, it's pack one, pick three and the snow land is missing, then then you're going to be in a, a bad spot specifically because the person to your right or someone two to your right has that same snap up all the snow land strategy that, that you might be having for the draft. Right. It's a very delicate dance because at most a table if Modern Horizons was any indication could support two snow drafters. And once you get into three, it starts to get really dicey. Right. And the dream was, you know, you set yourself up in pack one by snapping up the snow lands. You plant your flag as the snow drafter. And then in pack two and pack three, what you get to do is take 
the snow permanents out of the packs and then wheel the snowlands because in theory no one else wants them. There's one like big reason that I want to talk about that this card jumps out to me. I'm curious if you think it's as powerful as I do. This is Frost Augur. It's a single blue for a one-two snow creature, human wizard at uncommon, and you pay snow tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. I mean, it depends on how nuts your deck is, right? Like the better your snow deck, the better Frost Augur is going to yeah. be. Yeah, I just so like, I'm, but yeah, I'm, I'm all, I'm thinking all the possibilities here. I'm, I've got, I've got the best case scenario <laughs> mentality in my head right now. Yeah, I mean, I think if your deck is all snow permanents, Frost Augur's nuts. If you get there on like two thirds of a snow deck, which is still a powerful snow deck, mm-hmm. I think Frost Augur is going to be a little less exciting. Yeah, I think, I, I would say like if you can get to half your deck, like 20 out of 40 permanents or 20 out of 40 cards or snow cards, like this draws me half a card. I think I'm happy. Yeah, that's probably a reasonable way to look at it. It's because it's such a small cost. I mean, you're, you're essentially paying, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's like too inconsequential of a body, whatever. This card looks sweet to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun card for sure. So speaking of multicolor snow, there is a, a card that looks specifically seated to support a, a fun multicolor deck. There's Path to the World Tree. This is one in a green for an enchantment. When it ETBs, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And these snow lands are basics. So Mm -hmm. you can search up a snow land with Path to the World Tree. And then you can pay two white, blue, black, red, green, sacrifice Path to the World Tree. You gain two life, draw two cards. Target opponent loses two life. Path of the World Tree deals two damage to up to one target creature, and you create a 2-2 green bear creature token. That card seems sweet. I, there, you know, we're, we're about to talk about sagas, and I'm very curious because this effect is an enchantment, right? Usually we see these sort of like two mana, search up a basic, put it in your hand or whatever, sometimes three mana, put it into play. These are just spell effects, but this is one you could like pick up and then replay. Now, I, that that's a lot of do nothing for sure. So there's also a question of how aggressive is the format? How much does it support this sort of do nothing style? But this card does seem pretty sweet for a five color deck. Yep. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And then you, you can rest assured, dear listeners, if there's a five color green deck out there, I'll find it for you. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. Sagas are up next. And so if you've played uh, Dominaria, if you played Theros Beyond Death, you'll be familiar with the style of card. It's a really, really sweet permanent. They're sort of like mini planeswalker effects, um, but it's an enchantment that comes into play. And when it comes into play or at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you put a chapter counter on it or you like accelerate the counters on it. And usually they have three chapters. And so you do like first when it comes into play, second on your next turn, third on the following turn. And when the third counter is placed on it, you sacrifice it. Um, so for example, we've got fall of the imposter, which is one green white, uh, the first and second chapter are the same here, put a plus plus one counter on up to one target creature and the third chapter exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures, target opponent controls. That's really interesting. Yeah. So some potential weird counter implications there, where if you needed to nab a certain creature, you could put a counter on your opponent's thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. I doubt that's going to come up very often it does seem like it's going to be pump your creature pump your creature and then basically what what was that the black removal from zendikar rising soul shatter yeah i am real impressed that i knew that card name (laughs) i'll I'll put it i'll put in a round of applause sound effect here for you (laughs) thanks um yeah so i'm super excited about sagas returning i think they're really really great gameplay every color pair here not only gets like a signpost on common but I get a signpost on common saga and an uncommon spell land. 
So every color pair is getting three things at Uncommon. Yeah. So I think if you're not doing multicolored snow stuff, my initial inclination is that you want to be a color pair. Although, I don't know, snow bleeds over enough that maybe snow is just going to be multicolored and the other decks are going to be straight two color things. But regardless, you are heavily incentivized to find an open lane where nobody else is drafting your color pair to reap all those benefits. Yeah. Before we dive into each color pair, because I think, you know, talking about the sagas is going to really help us get a sense of what these color pairs are trying to do. And obviously talking about their signpost on commons, but just a couple things if you haven't played with sagas before, some things to keep in mind with sagas. The biggest thing is that you can rebuy them. You know, you get to have the third chapter go on the stack before you have to sacrifice it. And so you have this window of being able to, you know, blink that saga or bounce that saga back to your hand to replay it. Now, the other interesting thing about sagas in this set in particular is oftentimes what we see is the sagas building up, right? It's like chapter one is low impact, chapter two, medium impact, chapter three, big impact. A lot of the times here, the biggest impactful thing happens in chapter one. It's like big thing, medium thing, small thing or whatever, or big thing, synergistic thing, synergistic thing, whatever. Like it's it's a different spin on the sagas. So you have a bigger window of being able to blink these or pick them back up if you want to. To get that maximum effect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it was like, well, if chapter three is the big effect, I have to time it just right where chapter three goes on the stack and then I cast blink of an eye to return it to my hand. So I get the effect and then get to play the saga again. But then the additional implication of that was that then you're replaying the saga and then you're having to wait a couple more turns before that impact thing happens again and again i think that's going to be different here because if the most impactful thing is the first chapter then you just immediately get that when you replay it yeah sweet all right so you ready to dive into the color pairs very much so what's going on first all right first up we've got arachdos this is one of the least i think defined color pairs unfortunately so far i mean that could change with new cards that are spoiled but it was difficult to get a sense from the uncommon signpost and the saga as to exactly what it was trying to do so our uncommon here is carter doom scourge this is two black red for a four three legendary demon berserker and when it enters the battlefield, until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. And then whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. This seems wild for an uncommon to me. <laughs> like, I would not be surprised if this were a rare. Right. It's a lot of text. And it's interesting as far as what it incentivizes. You're just seeing it in the light of, I think, black-red is a color pair that's got a fair amount of boast and cares about boasting. You know, thinking about boast in the lens of building up your board and then swinging in a big turn makes this a little make a little more sense to me so maybe you're building it up you know your opponents are attacking into you maybe you're eating a creature and then you're swinging back really hard on the crackback after all your opponents have attacked right clears the way for you to be able to do two maybe three boast activations if you have the ability to do so right it essentially forces your opponent into a race when they might not want to yeah which is really really powerful and if black red can support it which i i imagine it can this is gonna be a sweet card the Rakdos Saga is Cardor's Vicious Return. This is two black red. First chapter, you can sacrifice a creature. When you do, it deals three damage to any target. Chapter two, each player discards a card. And then chapter three, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus and plus one counter on it, and it gains haste until your next turn. That is raw power there, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that is just a planeswalker. <laughs> 
Like, that's crazy. Yeah, both very powerful, but not super synergistic like we're going to see from some of the other color pairs. Yeah, I am hoping, and we I don't think we've seen the tools for this yet. I'm hoping Black Red's got a little steel and sack deck going on here. That does not seem to be the case to me much from what I saw in the spoiler, but could be cards missing. Next up, we've got Boros. So Boros cares about dwarves, equipment, and enchantments. So the signpost on common is Cole the Forge Master. This is one of the first cards spoiled for this set. It's red-white for a 2-2 legendary creature, Dwarf Warrior. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, you return it to its owner's hand. And creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one, plus one. This is weird to me. What is this like both caring about tokens? Like, are there tokens floating around? Yeah, there's definitely tokens floating around. Green-white really wants to go wide. Well, I guess the two Boros boast cards we talked about that like curve into itself with the boast activation, they make tokens. So that's a thing. Right. And there's also the cycle of equipment where you can oh, pay right. the casting cost where they come into play to make a token that the equipment is pre-attached to. Right. I, mean, I think of those as like kicker equipment sort of. Yeah. I did. I missed the word tokens on this though on my first read. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't quite know. This is seeming to me like it'll be more of a reward for being red white rather than a reason to be red white. And that's often feels like that's often the case with the red white uncommon because the red white deck is aggressive and so it's like often supported at common and so you don't you could take or leave this like Cargan war leader i think was a great example of that it's like if you're a warrior deck yeah you'll be fine with that does your warrior deck make or break on the fact you have a war leader never right 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 so moving on to the saga we've got forging the tyrite sword one red white first two chapters let you create a treasure token not the most exciting thing on the planet for a red white deck and then chapter three search your library for a card named halvar got a battle or an equipment card reveal it put it into your hand and shuffle your library so okay so if you get one of those like kicker equipments that make a token or you can pay extra to make a token to auto attach it to and this gives you two tokens to like have extra mana for that quote-unquote kicker cost that's kind of cool right and if you're lucky enough to get halvar god a battle which is a white mythic god you can go search up your bomb yeah okay so some narrow implications here but neither of these are super exciting in my mind i agree next up we've got selesnia what's going on there selesnia really wants to go wide cares a lot about tokens and humans might be a little bleed over into elves tokens as well from Mm. green but definitely wants to set up a big board and pump it so the signpost uncommon here is Maha Bredegard Protector or Maja, maybe. I don't know. No, he's probably not Spanish. So let's go with Maja. <laughs> I told you last last week I turned in my papers. I am no longer the pronunciation expert. <laughs> All right. We've got two green, white, white for a two, three human warrior. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a one, one white human warrior creature token. It's basically uh, Tristani, right? I mean, it's very good and it very clearly tells you what green, white wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the biggest knock against this is five mana for a two, three body. And I think this may have the effect where this isn't actually a turn five play. It's a turn six play. So you get to go five drop play a land and then get that one one so you're you're then getting a two three and a two two for the mana i mean curving out and using this as your anthem for the turn i mean you'd be willing to pay that much for an anthem plus a body i mean two three plus plus one plus one to your team is absurd well it's just fragile that's the only thing i'm thinking like if that's your game plan you would rather this was an enchantment yes i agree so there's i just think there's just just something to think about there but yeah it's definitely a powerful card and then we, we already talked about the fall of the imposter that was the saga we read initially so moving on to golgari elves and snow baby 
Signpost Uncommon is Harold, King of Skemfar. One black green for a 3-2 with Menace. And when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf, warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Yeah, so Tyvar is the green mythic planeswalker, if you're wondering about that. Ooh, nice. So if you're if you're so lucky, you get that and this. That's pretty sweet. Right, so I'm never going to be doing that. Oh, of course not. Well, you are, uh, you, you're never lucky. You never open planeswalkers. That's right. So yeah, this is sweet, and black-green looks super supported as far as elves. It's weird, you know, diving into the color pairs. Some of the color pairs are really, really tribal. Like black-green is very elf tribal. Blue-red is very giant tribal. And then something like black-red, you know, was was not nearly tribal uh, as those two color pairs. Yeah, I think the enemy color pairs seem much more supported in terms of a tribal thing, right? So the red-white dwarves thing, um, this black-green elves thing, and then I think the allied color pairs less so. Okay, interesting. So moving on to the saga for black-green, we've got Binding of the Old Gods. This is two black-green for a saga. Chapter one, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls busted yeah chapter two search your library for a forest card put it on the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library so worth noting that that forest you go get could be a snow basic because there's definitely some snow overlap here i think in the sultai region and chapter three creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn which is going to be pretty nasty if you have a wide board of elves it's going to yeah. be very difficult to block well the other thing that you get to do with that second chapter is search up a, a duel because the snow duels are both land types oh snap yeah that's so good this is an example of one of those like first chapters the most impactful second chapter medium impactful third chapter sort of insignificant i don't know like creatures gaining death touch does enable attacks for you for sure but who knows if you'll be able to do that with whatever the given board state is but this is this is just like everything i want to do in a game of magic ben i want to ramp i want to blow things up i want to i want to turtle up a little bit maybe i can pick this up and do it again like holy cow this card's good yeah very powerful next up we've got is it which cares about giants and spells so first up here we've got agar the freezing flame this is one blue red for a three three legendary giant wizard and whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage, if a giant wizard or spell you control dealt damage to it this turn, draw a card. That is wild. So basically, like, if you have a spell that's like deal three to a two toughness creature, you draw a card now? Yeah. Or if your 4-4 four, four giant runs over a 3-3, three, three, your opponent's chump blocking and oh. already in a bad spot, you just oh. <laughs> totally crush their soul. Oh my god, that's crazy. The saga here for Is It is Invasion of the Giants. This is blue-red. First chapter is Scry two second chapter a draw card then you may reveal a giant card from your hand when you do invasion of the giant steals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker and chapter three the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast this does not seem great to me yeah it's definitely one of the less impactful gold sagas i think yeah so i'd be curious to see you know it sort of reminds me ish of metamized prophecy but i think prophecy being able to eventually draw you two cards or had the, having the potential to draw you two cards i think gets ahead of invasion of the giants yeah there's also a very sweet removal spell that's going to play very nicely with the gold uncommon there's squash this is four and a red for an instant costs three less to cast if you control a giant so you get to cast it for one and a red if you have a giant instant speed deals six damage to target creature or planeswalker whoa yeah gonna be huge in blue red giants pun not intended <laughs> but like blue red giants is also wizards right like maybe maybe there aren't like lone wizards floating around i would just be curious to see because there's so much going on and perhaps because we're coming off of such a tribal centric set of zendikar rising i am curious how tribal will fare among all of the business that's happening in Kaldheim. i mean i think i think is it is very giants golgari is very elves 
And those are the only two dwarves less so, I think, than elves and giants, but dwarves a little bit in Boros as well. Okay. Next up in Demir, we have Narfi, Betrayer King. This is three blue black for a four three legendary snow creature zombie wizard. Other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one plus one. Wow. And then it has an activation of three snow. Return Narfi Betrayer King from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. What? Yeah. Cards nuts. <laughs> oh my God. Now you're seeing why I'm excited about snow. Yeah, for sure. Well, and this is a card that makes me go, yeah, I'll jam two snow planes in my deck to try and activate this. Like, my goodness. Well, or just imagine your base blue green snow. You get to splash yeah. this off of the replicating ring and the the enchant land. It's it's going to be very high pick. That is really strong. Okay, what's the saga? Saga is the trickster god's heist. This is two blue black. And first chapter is you may exchange control of two target creatures. Chapter two, you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type. Okay, so like I can swap my treasure for your snow ring. I can swap this saga for your saga. Right. And doing that with two. Why is it two? Oh, because you're swapping one of each. Okay. I thought you could do this. That's how an exchange okay, works. Yeah. <laughs> you need two things to exchange. Yeah. Okay. I got it. And chapter three, target player loses three life and you gain three life. So again, we have most impactful, medium impactful, somewhat impactful, right? Like the, the biggest thing is happening here at chapter one. And it's a hard thing to set up, right? You, you're going to need to have some stuff that you're willing to throw away, maybe like a, a card that enters the battlefield and does something. You know, there's a there's a sort of burglar rats variant in the format, like a two mana black creature enters the battlefield and opponent discards a card. And then you've got this like meaningless body floating around that you're happy to exchange. So, you know, when you think about stuff like switcheroo or whatever, you need to set that up. Right. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's going to be hard to really maximize, but high ceiling on the card. Yeah, for sure. And then Demir really does care about zombies as well. So blue black's kind of the zombies thing. I think they're called Draugr in call time. Okay, nice. Good for you. Look at that. Doing your research. Love to see it. I know. Uh, moving on to Orzov. This is sweet. So we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but Orzov is all about like double spelling. It cares about when you cast your second spell each turn. So the signpost on common is Fearja. Judge of Valor. It's two white, black, black for a 2-4 flying lifelink. That's already pretty darn good. Uh, and it says whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. This is so important for this strategy. Right, because one of the things you're going to do if you're double spelling frequently is run out of cards. Yeah. And Fearja keeps the gas flowing. Yeah, absolutely. So those are the things you're going to be looking out for. So we'll talk about that mechanic in just a little bit. Next up, we have Ascent of the Worthy. This is one white-black for the Orzov Saga. First and second chapters are the same. Choose a creature you control until your next turn. All damage that will be dealt to creatures you control is dealt to that creature instead. So you're offering up your sacrificial lamb that is worthy. And then in chapter three, it makes this Ascent. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. That creature is an angel warrior in addition to its other types. Yeah, I'm not that excited about this. Should I be? Um, Seems fine. Yeah, I'd say it seems fine as well, especially if I'm thinking about white black being the double spell thing. I think that means a lot of its creatures are going to be small. Well, but I think it also is angels. I think there are two sort mm. of different white black decks. I mean, there definitely is an 
angel tribal sure. deck that does not care about double spelling as much. If you're looking at this as a three mana raise dead, like with a plus one pl- or with a flying counter, that's not nothing. It's close to nothing. It's three mana raise dead with suspend two also. Yeah, but it comes back with a flying counter straight to the battlefield. I mean, that's a good rate on that type of effect. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, maybe you're maybe you're on the back foot. This lets you play defense. I mean, it could buy you multiple turns. I don't know. It does some things. That's true. Yeah. Moving on to Azorius, we've got Vega the Watcher, one white blue for a 2-2 legendary creature bird spirit with flying. Whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. Foretell, baby. Yeah, foretell early and often. So again, this is like the allied color pair wants to foretell, but again, not a super tribal heavy thing. So this is definitely the best home for Augury Raven, like we talked about earlier. Yes. The the Phantom Monster Flyer with foretell one in a blue. All right, the saga is Nico Defies Destiny. This is one blue-white. First chapter, you gain two life for each foretold card you own in exile. So derping around, foretell those things, gain some life while you're dying. Second chapter, add white blue, spend this mana only to foretell cards or cast spells that have foretell. And chapter three, return target card with foretell from your graveyard to your hand. This seems wildly dirtily. It is wildly dirtily, but it's also wildly powerful. Yeah, I do like, you know, this has like Dovin's Acuity light to it a little bit to me. Like, I just don't know how much you can afford to, like, what's the most life you can gain? Four? Like, you can't just be like, exile a spell, exile a spell, exile a spell, play this, gain six life. Like, I just don't. I just I just don't see it. Yeah, I think four seems like a reasonable amount to be hoping to gain. Yeah. All right. What's going on with Simic? Simic is snow and also has changelings going on. Green is where most of the changelings in the format are concentrated. So changelings, I don't know that we talked about this, but they're every creature type at mm-hmm. the same time. Right. Any creature that has changeling. So the signpost uncommon here is Morit of the Frost, two green, blue, blue for a zero, zero legendary snow creature shapeshifter. It has changeling. And you may have Morit of the Frost enter the battlefield as a copy of a permanent you control, except it's legendary and snow in addition to its other types. And if it's a creature, it enters with two additional plus one plus one counters on it and has changeling. So it can copy any permanent. If it does copy a creature, gets those two plus one plus one counters and makes it a changeling. Yeah. The fact that it's only permanents you control for five mana makes me a little sad, but the two additional counters does make up for that for sure. And we actually don't have the saga yet at Uncommon for Simic, so we'll have to wait and see what that is. Next up, moving on to Gruul. What do we have going on there? The signpost Uncommon here is Svela Ice Shaper, one red green for a 2-4 legendary snow creature troll warrior. Three mana tap, create a colorless snow artifact token named Icy Manolith. With tap, add one mana of any color, so it makes mana rocks. And you can pay six red green to tap it. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Whoa, is this the first time like red green isn't aggro? I know, that's what I was wondering. It looks like red green might be the base for the multicolored snow deck. Like red green is the ramp? rather than blue green but there's also some some snow beatdown cards in red green as well so it'll be interesting to see how it all ends up coming together okay cool well, what's the, does the saga point in one of those directions so the saga is arnie slays the trolls this is red green first chapter target creature you control fights up to one target creature you don't control two is add a red put two plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature you control and then chapter three you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control okay so a medium fight spell with then potential upside right yeah so that's definitely more pointing towards the beatdown side of things like i said there's some tension there but i think it'll be interesting to see how all of that ends up combining together yeah for sure 
All right, so you alluded to this a little bit earlier, and we've already talked about how the enemy color pairs are tribal, but there's like tribal stuff ev- everywhere, really. But there's there's changelings as well, right? These these creatures of every type, like everyone gets a pack beast type of deal. Yeah. So for example, there's Litjara Kinseekers. This is three and a blue for a two four shapeshifter. Has changeling, and when it enters the battlefield, if you control three or more creatures that share a creature type. Put a plus one plus one counter on Lit Jara Kinseekers, then Scry one. Four mana for a three five Scry one is pretty big. Yeah, I think, and again, they're mostly green, some floating around in blue as well. Mm-hmm. So we talked about, right, there's blue red giants, green black elves, red white dwarves, black white angels, red black berserkers, blue black zombies, green white has humans, and then green, but looks like also blue has changelings. Right. And then some of the color pairs just, I mean, red green is maybe trolls and stuff, but some of the color pairs are just like overtly get a lot of creatures of this type and you will get rewarded. And some of them are way less so. Yeah. There's a really cool tribal payoff in Basalt Ravager that could be really powerful and limited. Three and a red for a 4-2 giant wizard. And when it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to any target where X is the greatest number of creatures you control that have a creature type in common. So going to slot easiest into, you know, red, blue giants. But, you know, if you've got this in red, green, and you've got a lot of changelings running around, could also be great there. Yeah, it's like reverse thundering spark mage. Yeah. Next up, we want to take a look at black white double spell, which I have named aka the Ben Wernie here. Yeah, I think there's two different versions of black white. I think there is this black white double spell deck, and then there's also a black white angel tribal, and we'll see which one is ultimately better or if they end up blending together. So there's a lot of cards that let you double spell or incentivize you to double spell. So it looks very much like a low to the ground aggressive deck. Mm -hmm. So first card up here is Infernal Pet. This is two black for a 2-2 imp. When you cast your second spell each turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Infernal Pet and it gains flying until end of turn. Yeah, we've also got Clarion Spirit, one and a white for a 2-2. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you make a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. That card just looks like it's going to be a house in every single white deck. Right, yeah, maybe just like every white deck is snapping that up no matter what. There's also Blood Sky Berserker. This is one and a black for a 1-1. When you cast your second spell each turn, put two plus one plus one counters on Blood Sky Berserker. It gains menace until end of turn. Yeah, this deck just look, looks like it has very clear payoff slash enablers. And so the enablers are going to be cantrips. You know, we've got Revitalize and Village Rights as reprints. So Revitalize, one on a white, gain three life, draw a card. Village Rights, single black, sack a creature, draw two cards. Because the important thing, as we talked about earlier, is to keep the gas flowing here, right? You're going to need to have more spells because if you're double spelling a lot, you're going to run out of cards to play pretty quickly. So you need like those cheap cantrips to be able to go, here's something that impacts the board and here's something that's going to, you know, be my second spell, but also draw me a card. And I just think that this deck looks like really streamlined. And I don't know if that means it's going to be very obvious and everyone's going to try and draft it early, but this is a deck I have my eye on early to draft because I like really see how it comes together. Yeah, it looks fun. And the black, white, gold uncommon is definitely a nice bridge between this deck and the tribal angel side of things. Mm-hmm. There's also a pretty sweet artifact that slots in nicely. This is Scorn Effigy, three mana for a two, three scarecrow and has a fertile cost of zero. Is this card good? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so, but <laughs> it is It is cool. It appeals to my sensibilities for some reason. Yeah. The thing I, so Fortel, I think, is the other obvious piece of this black white double spell puzzle because, like, well, you get to have your stuff be cheaper. So you take a turn off to Fortel something, and then your next turn, you get to be able to double spell with an impactful thing at a huge cost reduction. And that is true, but I don't think that's the primary thing that's going to enable the deck. 
in my mind. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, next up, we've got spell lands. So we've talked about this a little bit, but every uncommon color pair gets a spell land that has activations of both colors of mana from that color pair. So this reminds me a lot of the memorials from Dominaria. And so maybe this is a clue that the format could potentially be a little slower, you know, going to incentivize you to run 18 lands in your decks, that sort of thing. Right. So for example, we've got Gates of Istfel. This is an uncommon land and ETBs tapped. It taps for white. And then you can pay two white, double blue, tap, sack it to gain two life and draw two cards. So these all are pretty largely impactful things to get from a land, right? This is gain two life, draw two cards is pretty big. You know, some of them make large creatures. Some of them like kill a thing, gain you some life, whatever. Like these are are impactful things, but they're very expensive, right? This has an activation of five, but also requires this. So it's really a six mana effect. So the question is like one, you know, how good is your deck in terms of being able to, to cast this or to activate it in terms of like, are you solidly white blue? And then the other thing is, Can you afford a tap land? And the other thing is, is the game going to go long enough where you want to sack your land on turn six? I just want to be the five color deck that just plays all of these that people don't pick. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, that is a pretty big payoff for that deck because you want to draft lands as well. Yeah, I hadn't thought Mm -hmm. about that. That's cool. All right, we've also got some kicker equipment. We've alluded to this earlier. So these are equipment that enter the battlefield and allow you to make a token by paying a certain amount. So first up, we've got Dwarven Hammer. This is two and a red for an artifact equipment. When it enters the battlefield, you can pay two. If you do, create a 2-1 red Dwarf Berserker creature token, then attach Dwarven Hammer to it. An equipped creature gets plus three, plus O, and has Trample. So if you essentially pay five, you get a 5-1 Trampler when you play this equipment yeah that then that then dies into an equipment mm-hmm. that's not bad like plus three plus oh and trample equip three is a lot but that is a, a lot of power that can't be chumped right and it's cool that these exist for the red white equipment deck right yeah it certainly helps give that deck more legs because one of the drawbacks of red white when it cares about equipment is you have to play all this junky equipment but now you get cards that are creatures and equipment yeah. The the other one in red white is Valkyrie's sword, one and a white for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus one, and has an equip cost of three. But when it enters the battlefield, you can pay four and a white to make a four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance and attach it to it. So that's a lot of mana. That's seven mana, but for a six five flying vigilance. That is large and in charge. Large and in charge. Yeah. The one that I am most dreading and i'm sure you are too is giant's amulet oh yeah this is blue for an artifact equipment when it enters the battlefield you can pay three and a blue if you do create a four four blue giant wizard creature token then attach giant's amulet to it equip creature gets plus o plus one and has this creature has hexproof as long as it's untapped equip cost of two so the saving grace is at least this card can't go on offense without being exposed right because that's what uh that's what you're always worried about is people's like Whatever, whatever, what was that snapping turtle, the four or five hexproof from Dominaria? I mean, it ultimately did end up winning the game. Because you would put an aura on it? Right, and then you had to attack. So the, when the thing does try to kill you, you will have a window of opportunity. I guess that's true. But the, but then you can just move this. That's the sick thing. Is like, so you, you, whatever, then you just move this to some other creature to be on defense. But I see what you're yeah. saying. Like, you can still mess with it. God forbid something has vigilance. Like, I, I don't know. This, <laughs> I, this card, why? Why put hexproof in limited? I don't get it. I agree. So next up, we've got our first disagreement. This is what happened before the podcast. So header here is Smuggler's Copter is back in our show notes. My question to you, Ethan, is it? I mean, no, obviously I'm being hyperbolic, but we do have Funeral Longboat at Common, which is a two mana, three, three vehicle with Vigilance and Crew 1. So the Smuggler Copter analog here is a two mana, three, three vehicle with Crew 1. 
So this has vigilance. This doesn't have the like flying and when it attacks or blocks you loot. So that's, you know, obviously Copter was busted. This is not that. But I think this is very powerful. If Copter taught me anything, it's that a two mana three three vehicle with crew one is really, really good. So to give listeners a sneak peek behind the scenes ethan and i usually work on the show notes separately like one of us starts it most of the time it's ethan and then i add stuff towards the end of the week and then we record so our show notes went smugglers copters back i wrote in the show notes this seems kind of mediocre to me question mark and then ethan responded oh wow i think this is going to be a top 10 common and then we immediately started duking it out (laughs) before we started recording yeah, I don't. I, I can't. I'm obviously not going to convince you of anything, and I just I've already laid out why. I just think it's like the raw stats here and the fact that it's colorless. I think this is going to be a really high pick. Yeah, and I could certainly see it playing out that way. It did not strike me that way. I think this is fine, but it's not particularly synergistic. I could see it being a card you want in an aggressive deck, but ultimately, I just don't know that it is going to be a card that makes your deck that much better do you know what i mean like it's not it's not helping other cards around it at all or anything like that well not in a very like explicit way but i think you know if you've got small bodies or whatever it definitely if you're an aggressive deck you're interested in this card i think because you know if if, i know it's not evasive but it's just it's kind of big for the rate maybe it not being evasive is a huge knock against it and it just gets blanked too easily but i definitely have my eye on this card it seems hard i could see either one of us being right it seems hard to evaluate without the context of the format sure i think that's right well speaking of hard to evaluate without the context of the format let's round things out with another edition of great or garbage ben the first card here i want to talk about is divine gambit White, white for a sorcery at uncommon. Exile, target artifact, creature, or enchantment, and opponent controls. That player may put a permanent card from their hand onto the battlefield. I saw this card, and immediately I was trying to think of ways to make it work. I don't know what that says about me, but I really want this card to be great. My gut says it's probably not, but in limited, it certainly has more of a chance than in constructed. Yeah, I think that's true. It's so hard because... Obviously, the thing you have to adjust is this doesn't cost white, white, right? This is essentially like a turn seven play, right? You're playing this on your opponents, like hopefully their final threat, their largest threat when they have one or two cards in hand and they and then you fingers crossed that they don't have another one waiting in the wings, you know? I'm going to go out on a limb and say great, like closer to great than garbage on the sliding scale because it's also going to let you double spell and white seems to care about that to a certain Mm -hmm. extent like this only being two mana is real and if you wait until they only have one or two cards now can you afford to do that that's another thing that's the other thing right what what happens when it's turn four and you're like dang it i have to kill this one thing but i know that means they just get to play their six drop i don't know i kind of like it yeah i i want to like it but i'm gonna go on the on the side of garbage all right next up we've got wither crown this is one black enchantment aura enchant creature this was voxy's preview card Mm -hmm. enchanted creature has base power zero and has at the beginning of your upkeep you will lose one life unless you sacrifice this creature so we haven't talked about uh, Bound in Gold, which is the, we'll talk about this a little bit, but maybe we'll talk about them simultaneously here, right? This is the pacifism effect. Two and a white, enchant permanent, can't attack or block, can't crew vehicles, and can't activate its abilities unless they're mana abilities. So I think we got to talk about the enchantment-based removal right now. We've got Bound in Gold here and we've got Wither Crown. And I don't know why, but I look at Bound in Gold and I want, I'm like, this card is bad, or I want to like find reasons for this card to be bad. And I look at Wither Crown and I'm like, oh, that looks kind of good. <laughs> and and I don't know why. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is some serious cognitive dissonance there. Well, but I'm aware of it at least. <laughs> that's I, I guess that's good. Yeah. So I think like Wither Crown reminds me a little bit of Inevitable End from Theros Beyond Death. You know, the like tuna black aura at the beginning of your upkeep, you had to like sack a creature. So the 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 thing about that card was it more often than not just got the thing dead. Now this is a little different because like paying one life at a certain point may not be that bad. You may say like, Hey, I want to have a like zero power, you know, X toughness creature around for a little bit. The other thing is that plus one plus one counters exist in the format. And so just cause the thing has base power doesn't mean it won't have power with counters on. Right. I'm going firm on garbage for wither crown. Yeah. Okay. I think that's true. I think it looks not great. Like, do you think maybe sometimes you'll, you'll play one, like it's a necessary evil type deal. Well, I think it's playable for sure, but it is not a high pick in my mind. Yeah. So like you're, you're saying like C, C minus whatever role player, maybe even replaceable. I think replaceable. Yeah. Okay. And what about, uh, what about bound in gold? I'm going great on bound in gold. You think that's going to crack your top three commons this time around? Probably. I think, I think it is. Yeah. It looks good. I'm going to try and not. That's my that's the thing I'm trying to lean on is not have it be in my top commons. But but it's there's going to be a lot more information that we'll need in the coming few days once the full spoiler is uh, re- revealed to us here to know where this sits in the in the set, I think. Next up is Dogged Pursuit. My goodness, Ben, everyone's talking about this card. Three and a black enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. It's ill-gotten inheritance, right? No, it is not ill-gotten inheritance. Why is it not ill-gotten inheritance? Because it doesn't have the activated ability. There's no spectacle in the format. Like the decks don't care about doing this. There's large, large, large monsters running around. This card's not good. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I do think there will be a home for this is my guess. And I just don't know where it's gonna be like I, I am interested for this card to have some way to shine because i think it's not going to be actual factual and playable though maybe it will be but i just would like to see like maybe there's some like hard hard control deck that just needs a way to win and that's what this is like you have a control deck at common and this is a way to win but generally with ill-gotten inheritance it was best in an aggro deck right yeah i i think this is significantly worse than ill-gotten inheritance already in the context of the format that we can see. Mm-hmm. I agree. Maybe it'll find a home, but it's not going to be first pickable like ill-gotten inheritance was. No, not at all. All right. Next up, we've got taunt the trolls. This is three and a red instant taunt. The trolls deals three damage to any target. If a creature is dealt damage this way, it gets plus five plus O until end of turn. I think this card is insanely good. Really? Talk to me about that. This is a split card of four mana deal three, which isn't great, but it's an instant speed. So that's that's still fine. Four mana, deal three to a three toughness or smaller creature. So you're trading down on mana almost certainly. But it also has the split ability of target, like you just win the game. Your unblocked four toughness creature now is a lava axe as well. Yeah. This, this card is very good, I think. I am a little less hot on it than that. I think it's good. I don't know about, I don't know if I would go great. I'm, I'm like firmly medium on it. Why? You don't like split cards? You don't like winning the game? I mean, I like all of those things. It's a lot of mana to do that though. Yeah. I think I, yeah. I'm going going firm great here on Taunt the Trolls. All right. Next up is Axeguard Cavalry. One in red for a 2-2 Dwarf Berserker at common, and it has tap target creature gains haste until end of turn. Is this better on a 2-2 or worse on a 2-2? Than on a 1-mana one 1-1, one, you're yeah. saying? Yeah. I think it's better. I think it might be worse. Like that, my initial thought was it's better because the 2-mana two 2-2 two, two body is more relevant, but 
That makes me want to activate this a lot less. Yeah, but it's still threat of activation later in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think this card's very good. I'm going on great for X Guard Cavalry. Yeah, I'm going. I, I don't think it's garbage, but I don't think it's great. I think it's just fine. That's not an option. We got to have greater garbage. You did that on Taunt Patrols. <laughs> we each get one good. <laughs> Calvin rules here as we're <laughs> midway through the game. That's right. Calvin Ball rules. Uh, next up is Masked Vandal. One on a green for a 1-3 shapeshifter. So it's a changeling, right? Every creature type. And when it enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, exile target artifact or enchantment and opponent controls. That's pretty darn good. That's a 2-mana 1-3 with relevant types at common that just randomly gives you a naturalize effect main deck. That's great. How many of them are you going to run, though, right? Are you going to run three mass vandals? Like, it's going to no. be a 1 or a 2 of, maybe. But that's still like really powerful. And then, but then you're also happy to have more to bring in from the sideboard. Right. I think situationally great is what I would give that card. Yeah, that's fair. Next up, we've got Frostpire Arcanist. This is four and a blue, two, five. It costs one less to cast if you control a giant or a wizard. And whenever it enters the battlefield, search your library for an instant or sorcery card with the same name as a card in your graveyard. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. This is an interesting card. So assuming you get multiple copies of good removal spells, this card's very good. So sort of like the rich get richer in a certain sense. Yeah, it reminds me very much of Chrome Replicator from M21, right? That was the five mana four, four. When there's the battlefield, if you control two or more non-land, non-token permanents with the same name, you got another four, four. And I think this is very similar to that, right? If you think about having two spells in your graveyard or whatever that's at you at you have cast two spells karma replicator cared about you having cast two creatures of the same name that was essentially how you got that copy so it felt like eventually chrome replicator was like a reward for having done that or like a speculation on hey i i know i'm gonna want to pick up multiple copies of spell x or whatever but like and and obviously just a wish coin crab if you assume the cost reduction exists here that's just a fine card like a four mana two five with relevant types uh, yeah, it's an interesting card for sure. I mean, if you imagine if you have multiple copies of Squash, because that's going to be the most obvious yeah. card to get multiple copies of in Blue Red, that would be sick. I've, I'm a little leery. It's a lot to come together. You know, Chrome Replicator right. was hard to make work. That's what I think. Certainly high upside. Yeah, I wonder, I think a lot of like if, if we're going to see a churn spell, like a Thrill of Possibility or Tormenting Voice style thing, I think that makes this card better. Like how, how much velocity do you get to go through your library, I think makes this card better. Mm-hmm. Ooh, all right, Ben, that's all we got for now. Oh, th- that was it? There's no more? No, no more. Just uh, Just churning through those commons and uncommons that we've seen so far. I'm excited to see the rest of the set come together in a few days. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of the cards already. So it's, it's. I think the set is shaping up and I like what I see. Yeah, I think the final thing I want to leave our listeners with here is sort of talking about synergy overall, you know, coming off of Zendikar Rising, that was a big, you know, we talk about it as like a macro synergy set. Like it was very much about like your color pair was doing this tribal thing or you were doing this party thing. And there wasn't a lot of like, ooh, this small interaction versus if you play at any of Kaladesh Remastered, Kaladesh Remastered was like the other end of the spectrum of, well, there's all these tiny things like, yeah, you're doing energy, but then you also have some servo stuff and you've got some plus and plus one counter stuff and all that overlap was nice. And I think overlap is the name of the game here in Kaldheim. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I am a little worried that like, black green elves and you know red blue giants and black white angels that those tribal synergies that are overt Uh plus all the snow stuff is just really powerful and that boast 
and the non non snow non linear tribal stuff is just not going to be able to compete with that. That's a, a fear that I have for the format, but I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I think yeah, speed will be an interesting indicator of that. Like the faster the format, the more linear the stuff is, and I think also just like how supported. I think the multicolor good stuff is slash snow. Yeah. All right. Great place to wrap things up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring the podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all magic purchases, signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for the crash course of call time. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Chapter two, search your library for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle your snow, <laughs> shuffle your snow, <laughs> just shuffle your snow right into your library. <laughs> I was just thinking about how I was going to tell people you could get a snow forest. <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. 